Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast, conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi, and I am your host. If you enjoy my podcast, you can support it in a number of ways. You can rate, review and subscribe to it on your podcast app or on iTunes. You can join me on social media and you can even support the show by joining me for a chat or sponsoring an episode. You'll find all the details at the end of this episode and in the show notes of your app. So about today's conversation, today I got to sit down for a chat with Alexa Hohenberg. Alexa is my hero. She is the founder and owner of Still Stoked. It's a platform on a mission to inspire adventurous women through stories, musings, sport and travel. And beyond being an amazing storyteller, a writer and a filmmaker, she's a girl who's got it all worked out for living life a little differently. Prior to setting up Still Stoked, Alexa was a professional snowboarder, a mountain guide and spent her life hurtling down the mountains in the most extreme conditions. She was the kind of girl who'd be living in a yurt in the middle of Alaska just to be close to the pristine mountains. Her lifestyle is a true inspiration to many. She's wild, free and to top that, she has a wonderful sense of humour. In this story, Alexa walks us through her action-packed life from her snowboarding days to moving to Australia and then spending three months on a boat crossing the Pacific Ocean. Today, Alexa lives in the northern beaches of Sydney and she's become an accomplished surfer and shares the stories of other inspiring females from around the world. With her incredible talent and contagious enthusiasm, she's successfully created an online platform that has morphed into a real paid job. I was interested in finding out what it was all about and in our conversation Alexa walks us through what it is to run a platform like that and she also gives us tips that she would have liked to have when she set up shop and she also shares her wild and free lifestyle that goes with the job. So there's a bit of a catch in the recording though. Halfway through I realised that I was speaking into the wrong mic. My bad entirely. So with last week's conversation in mind, I decided to try out the Pete Gustin method and listen to my faint voice and re-recorded it on a new track. Anyway, it was a bit of a disaster, but what's important is what Alexa has to say. But you know what? I've decided to own it anyway and present to you my conversation with Alexa Hohenberg. Hi, Alexa, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. (laughs) So I guess before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. So my name is Alexa. I am the founder of Still Stoked, which is a platform for women in adventure with a large majority of surfing content. And I also have a background in snowboarding, uh, mountain guides, and also I'm a surfer. Wow. This is going to be a really exciting conversation. So I wondered we could start with where you grew up. Ah, yes. The accent gives it away, although I kind (laughs) of have a bit of a mongrel accent. I grew up in South London and no mountains or surf around me, but melting pot of cultures and media. I was exposed from an early age to that sort of culture and that sort of vibe. Excellent. And so can we talk a bit about your relationship with the mountains? 
Yeah, I started snowboarding when I was 11 and it was on a school trip. And I think the proximity to the UK, to the French Alps, you know, a lot of schools get to go on a, on a week's holiday and I was lucky enough to be on one of those. And I absolutely adored just being in the mountains and my parents would take me, uh, my mother's Croatian, so we would drive through the Alps, Austria and Germany on the way home when I was younger. So we spent a lot of time walking in the mountains. But I think the mountains for me are just just an endless expanse of space. Hmm. And there's just, it's nice. I like looking at, at mountains thinking no one's ever been in that little nook or that cranny <laughs> or have they, or what hap- what stories have been told on these mountains or what have they seen? So I find mountains kind of captivating. That's beautiful. So you actually became a snow park shaper in the French Alps. Can you tell us about that? The whole story of this? Yeah, I spent a lot of time in Ledger's Alp and Ledger's Alp has a glacier in the summer and I was coaching on some some camps, some freestyle camps, teaching people how to ride rails and, and hit jumps and then when that was finished I needed to buy a lift pass and I figured out that if I volunteered as a snow park shaper I got a free lift pass for the next day. So my summers kind of turned into snowboarding all day and then picking up a shovel and and shaping the jumps or salting them which we did back in the day I'm not sure if they do that anymore for environmental reasons Mm -hmm. but yeah shaping the jumps taking the banners down from the wind packing up the deck chairs having a barbecue and then (laughs) going down before the storms hit in the afternoon and we couldn't take the the gondola so yeah that was kind of fun I got to learn it was nice to to learn the mechanics of the jumps that we were hitting and and kind of learn from some some good shapers as well because I was I was throwing myself off those jumps and rails every day so it was kind of cool to spend a little bit of time knowing what went into building them. Hmm. And when did that actually to you transitioning to become a professional snowboarder? I think later on I managed to get a few sponsors and decided that I was going to try and push that. I made one of the first women's snowboard movies in 2005 as a response to the lack of any media for women in snowboarding available at all. Is that Snowballs? So, yeah, that was kind of, it was called Snowballs, yeah. We wanted to call it Chicks with Decks, but DJ Rap, the drum and bass <laughs> DJ, beat us to it. So I called it Snowballs. And... Yeah, I kind of did a lot of comps in the UK. We have these indoor snow domes, which are essentially fridges. Uh, Some of them scrape the ice rink, the snow off the ice rink, and then they throw that on concrete. And then you go and hit rails and jumps and fall on the concrete. (laughs) And there was a whole like British tour through the snow domes and the dry slopes. And I moved to Canada when I was 18 and and got amongst um, some of the comps there. So yeah, kind of just dabbled, dabbled in that, but mostly went down the photography and storytelling route in snowboarding. Right, right. So how did that kind of nomadic lifestyle going with the season, how did it affect your lifestyle in general? Well, I worked pretty hard when I was at school just to raise as much money as I could. So in the holidays, I could do my passion. Um, 18, I left by myself. I was like, I'm out. And I moved to Canada. And I didn't come back until I was about 21, 22. And it was only through an injury that I had to come back. And then that injury forced me to slow down. And then I went to university. So I kind of went to university late. And I think that was actually a really good thing because 
I had a lot of life experience. I wasn't just coming out of school and wanting to like get drunk and get involved in all the partying. Instead, I kind of had to do that first year where it doesn't count for anything, but you still have to go to the classes. So it kind of felt a little bit futile and pointless. So I had the time to make that that snowboard film, Mm. which was good. So I guess some good came of it. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen footage of you on YouTube and you are amazing radical freerider. How did you transition from jumping on concrete ramps to actually freeriding? The scenery is incredible and the slopes are really, really scary. How did that happen? Thank you so much. I guess later, the transition a lot of snowboarders have is from kind of freestyle and you know, about treating your body like a bouncy ball and hoping it can recover to wanting to go deeper into the mountains and, and learn about the snow and, and into the backcountry. And then with the arrival of split boards and ski touring, the last sort of five years of my life has been more about human powered exploration in the mountains and helicopters. I spent a lot of time in Alaska and and playing in helicopters. And that's just been like straight to the vein. Highly recommend it. It will ruin your life <laughs> if you ever, ever try heli skiing. And what do you mean by that? Yeah. Oh, it's, well, in Alaska is the final frontier and the, the mountains are so big. And once you've been on one of those big faces and had an amazing, um, amazing ride, there's nothing is comparable ever again. So it's sometimes hard to go to ski resorts and <laughs> kind of for a period there, I was just saving all my pennies for, for heli fuel and <laughs> trips to Alaska and living in walled tents. And a, I lived in a walled tent and a tree house and a bus and a yurt on the side of the highway in um, Thompson Pass, Valdez, just to be there. So yeah, it does, it does ruin your life. I ended up quitting my career actually and retraining as a heli guide in Alaska and a mountain guide just because I got the bug so bad and yeah. that was kind of all I wanted to do. And I did that at like maybe age 30, 31. Wow. When you are a, a mountain guide, is there a certificate that enables you to practice as a surf guide, uh, as a mountain guide all around the world or there is so the highest qualification that you can get is called an ifmga and that is the purest form of mountain guide and i don't have that that is you do like rock climbing ice climbing all of the elements that are involved in walking through the mountains and then you can work anywhere in the world the qualification i have is a mechanized guiding qualification and then as an avalanche professional as well so the sort of guiding i do is less glaciers and rock and climb and more machines helicopters and snow cats and ski touring have you ever had to uh, avoid an avalanche or gone through tricky situations and have you been lucky enough to uh, to avoid any yeah not be in that situation <laughs> yeah i think I work in avalanche terrain and my job is to assess the safety of the snow and make the decisions on where we're going to ski that day and, and how we're going to ski it. And um, fortunately, I've, I've made the right decisions up to this point. So I haven't been in that sort of situation, but I have definitely had a hypothesis that the snow wasn't good and gone out there and tested it and seen reactions from it and then back down and turned home. Right. right. Yeah. Amazing. Let's talk about what sparked your mind to actually start Still Stoked. 
So Still Stoked, I guess, was the natural evolution of making that snowboard film back in the day. So when I was younger, it was hard to to be what I couldn't see. And there wasn't that many women to look up to in the roles that I wanted to be in, in, in those alternative lifestyles. So I wanted to create a place where women could tell their stories in the hope that the younger generation would have access to those stories and be able to read them and be like, what I'm feeling right now, other people have also felt. And what I want to do with my life, I have physical proof that other women have been able to successfully do. So it makes it more achievable for me. Now I can see it so I can be it. Mm. So Still Stoke basically started as a passion project of telling my story and the stories of the women around me. Fortunately, through the sports that I did and the level that I was at, I had the most amazing access to athletes and inspirational heroes and idols that I was able to put in the spotlight and ask questions of. So I was creating all of the content that I know that I wanted to know because I knew that there were some women out there that also would benefit from access to that sort of information. Mm. And it's kind of grown and grown from that. And it's now at a point where it's got so big that it's it's bigger than one person. Mm-hmm. And I'm at that that critical precipice right now where I have to make the decision that, you know, to start hiring people and opening it up and getting help. And I recently just went full time on it as well. Wow. So I'm fully all in just seeing where <laughs> it can go. It's so exciting. Yeah, because you also moved to Australia. Was that for a job or was that for the lifestyle in Australia? Yeah, I never thought I would end up in Australia. I spent a lot of time in Whistler when I was younger and I met so many Australians there and I was like, I never, I don't want to go there (laughs) because the Whistler partying Australian scene isn't exactly representative of how wonderful this country is. Uh, (laughs) But I was in New Zealand, I tore my knee again and my old boss had moved to Australia and she kept on saying, Alexa, what are you doing? I was like, I'm snowboarding, go away, I'm snowboarding. (laughs) And then she called, she's like, Alexa, what are you doing? I was like, I've blown my knee what have you got? And so she asked me to move over for an amazing job in advertising to start the digital content department for a big agency called Mediacom. So I moved over here and my brother was fortunately already over here. And um, I've been here now nine or 10 years in Sydney's Northern Beaches. And I absolutely love it. It's the best place to call home. (laughs) Absolutely. And did you transition to surfing in Australia? Was that the first time you had to go? With snowboarding, it was really hard to find the time to surf. So I kind of went on a couple of trips to Cornwall and Devon in the UK, but I never really would have called myself a surfer. And then it was such a a big goal of mine. I was like, I really, really want to surf. And I consistently surf when I moved to Manly Beach and every morning I would try and go with my girlfriends and hold each other accountable and and get out there and I knew nothing about how the wind affects the snow so my fondest memories sorry how the wind affects the waves so my fondest memories are um, you know going out in crazy onshore storms being like we must learn to surf (laughs) with with my girlfriend Sarah and yeah it's been surfing's a 10-year sport I think and it's only now in that eight to 10 year period of doing it consistently. I mean, maybe I'm just really slow at the uptake on it, but it's only now that I'm really starting to think that I can figure it out and I know where to sit and I can, you know, in what other sport is turning a maneuver? 
<laughs> like so t- turning's a trick I can turn now <laughs> and it took it took 10 years <laughs> brilliant so what's the most challenging thing about moving to the other side of the world or from Whistler or from the UK or from Europe it's definitely challenging in the sense that you have to make sound group of friends and find yourself in a community. Mm. And the Northern beaches can be quite cliquey. Everyone kind of grew up here and it's so beautiful that they never want to leave. So breaking into that, those cliques was kind of hard. But having surfing was where I made all of my friends, like really? going up and paddling up to girls and guys in, in the ocean and starting chatting and then seeing them around town. That's kind of how I found my own little community here. But yeah, it's it's a great it's a great place to call home. <laughs> and there's also a part of your story which is really amazing. How did you end up living for three months on a boat? What's the story behind that? Yeah, I, I just sailed across the Pacific from Panama to Tahiti on the boat Finding Avalon, which is a, a popular YouTube channel. But I'm always one that says yes to opportunities and snowboard season had finished for me in Japan. I just finished guiding there at a Katsuki operation and I wasn't going to Alaska this year. I was having a year off and my girlfriend messaged me and said, hey, we need help crossing the Pacific. We're leaving in April. We're heading to Galapagos and then we're going all the way to Tahiti. You want to come? And I was, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I jumped at it and said yes. And Yeah, it was amazing. I'm actually just going to go to Tonga in a month's time and get back on a boat and help some other friends that I met on really? that adventure sail to New Zealand. So I think the the salty life is in my bones and <laughs> once a sailor, always a sailor. <laughs> Absolutely. Were you ever afraid of getting stuck in storms or shipwrecked or did that ever cross your your mind? It definitely did. There's one point in the Pacific where you are so far away that no one could come and get you, no helicopters or it depending on what naval ships are around you. We had a pretty serious accident. Well, we had a competition to see who could catch the biggest fish with a homemade lure made out of a Coca-Cola can. And we caught this ginormous wahoo. And as we were pulling it in, it was thrashing on the back of the boat and the lure sliced through the captain's leg. A pretty deep gash and we were 1,100 miles from land and luckily my my training as a mountain guide kind of kicked in there and I had a lot of my equipment on board so I steri-stripped his leg up super glued the steri-strips in place bandaged it up made a, a knee brace out of a sawn off coat hanger a ski strap and a sam splint got him on some antibiotics that I had because I was anticipating many a skull dragging along the reef once I got to Tahiti <laughs> and um yeah he we put him down in in the shade because he couldn't be in the sun and and Zamphi and I double-handed the boat for a few days and everything was fine oh. so yeah there were definitely moments where you realize just how alone you are but that's kind of why I did it it's beautiful it's an incredible experience yeah you must grow so much with these sorts of experiences. I highly recommend if anyone ever gets the opportunity to spend time at sea, it gives you the time to take everything out of your brain, put it on the ground, look at it, and then assess what you want to put back in your brain. And it's, um, I think the only other place you could possibly do that is at an ashram for a long period of time. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing. <laughs> mm, absolutely. So let's talk about... Still stoked. What kind of articles do you 
do on Still State? So we we cover a whole plethora of things. So there's a lot of personal writing as well from myself and Melanie, who's my right hand woman, and then any other women that would like to share their stories. We do a lot of interviews with top athletes, speak to breath coaches or wellness coaches, just anything really. The main thing we put it through the lens of is this inspiring and wanting someone to, to do better. But we also do a few investigative pieces and review surf camps around the world we write surf guides of destinations that we get to go surf in and basically just trying to create the content that we want to read and uh more recently we're doing a lot of videos so on the youtube channel we're sitting down and doing a thing called still stoke chats where we either chat about things that we wish we knew when we first started surfing or what's in my backcountry pack or just interviews with people that are living freedom-based lifestyles where they're not tied to a desk and they're living out their dreams basically so brilliant you were saying earlier that you're finally dropped the other jobs and living off still stoked what is the business model of that kind of an online publication now that is a great question my thoughts when i started it were just create great content and build a community and so that's what i did and i have this wonderful community of of women all around the world that the content is inspiring and helping and then now i'm at the point where i am looking at it as a business and i'm thinking right well the current business model has been advertising, uh, so display ads and making a, a, some revenue from the traffic, and then also reviewing things and affiliate links. So every time that we review something that we really stand behind, we'll see if we can negotiate a deal with that brand to give us a referral fee. But what I'm learning is that the margins are so small, you know, things like surf bikinis and travel insurance and surf camps or whatever that is. We need to really think of something that we need to sell. You know, we've got a really strong brand and what I'm at the point now where we're thinking, you know, what can I create that can help people? Mm. So what are the pain points that that I have as a female surfer or I have as a woman that's wanting to get into backcountry skiing? So I'm looking at creating, you know, online courses that can help people to, you know, read the ocean, know where to sit, how to paddle. Because I think a lot of women want to ask these questions but they're also kind of scared to look silly Mm. and they don't have other women to ask these questions of and that content doesn't it exists but all over the web on a different range of quality so I'd like to bring that all into the fold in really good quality with experts and bring that to to our audience and I just very scarily this week announced our first ever Still Stoke experience. We booked a 100-foot boat in the Mentawis and two high-performance surf coaches to do a 12-night all-inclusive surf hunting mission with like progression in the heart of it next October. So I'm kind of gone all in and I think if you don't back yourself and what your dreams are, no one else will. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of on that page at the moment. And have you had to ask for support from banks or crowdfunding or things like that to actually get this off the ground or is it all been self-sufficient? It's all been self-funded, yeah. So 
yeah, I've kind of put my money where my mouth is and just kind of going after it and decided to, you know, put all the the money that still Stoke makes a month back into into the business. Whereas before when I was traveling, it would kind of pay for my food and my rent and everything. But now it's like, how do I reinvest it into the product and into our audience? And yeah, mostly it's my, my time at the moment and a bit of you know, money here and there. And, and obviously the boat wasn't exactly cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because um, how many people do you need to fill the boat up for your next trip? We need 11 people. So okay. I've got two coaches on board as well. So it can sleep 11. It's 100 feet. So it's yeah, massive. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's exciting. The moon Palakai or something like that. Is that it? Moon Palakir, yeah. Yes, yes. Moon Palakir. <laughs> it's gonna be so great. And my surf coach is one of the surf well, both of my surf coaches are G Cormac, who owns Chick Surf School here in the Northern Beaches, and then uh Twiggy, Peter Van Ryan, who's a coach in Bali. And he's also been a surf guide on that boat for about eight years. So mm. we're in incredible hands. Yeah, he knows the spots perfectly, he knows yeah. where to go and everything. Just before we sort of conclude the chapter on actually having an online publication and a community, what would be the best advice you'd give somebody starting out? Would it be to sort of build the community first and then think about content later or content focus? Do you have any advice? I wish I knew when I first started out to start collecting email addresses from a really early stage. Now, I didn't do that because I didn't, stupidly, I didn't see the value in it. I put a lot of my attention on social media. Mm -hmm. And then what I've learned, you know, which I should have known as a marketer is you don't actually own your Facebook platform or your Instagram. And when they change those algorithms you lose that opportunity to talk with your audience Mm -hmm. whereas people that sign up to your email they have opted in to have a direct conversation and relationship with you so I never really put those sign up forms at the forefront of the website and people had to dig to find them and I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful that they did so now I've made it a lot easier for people to sign up to our what I'm calling the still stoke tribe (laughs) so that's definitely something that I would say to myself when I first started and also just to get the plumbing well on a website I kind of think of it as the the plumbing and the structure of it well so you can scale Mm -hmm. because with great content if you're producing great content you will want to scale quickly and just structuring it well and having everything set up well from the start it sets you in good steed for your Mm. future growth Mm, brilliant that's excellent advice so could you walk us through a day in your life uh, right now Uh, right now on Sydney's northern beaches it's uh, just turned into spring so this morning we were in the water at quarter to six six a.m me and the girls and sunrise sunrise surf for two hours and then coffee at home sit in the sunshine and then open up the laptop and kind of get stuck in and thinking of what are my goals what that I want to accomplish today am I editing videos am I writing am I reaching out to partners try and do some yoga midday work all afternoon and then yeah weekends we get to go away a lot so this weekend I'm putting all my snowboard gear in the car and driving six hours south and we're snow camping on the on the peaks in Australia if you didn't know we have kind of fun mountains here (laughs) so I get to surf and snowboard all in a week that's amazing that's fantastic oh that's so inspiring and um so yeah definitely it is doable but I guess it's a lot of hard work as well 
It is. And I have moments where I wake up and I'm terrified and I think it would be so much easier just to go back to work in advertising and work for somebody else. But then I think if you're working, you're building someone else's dream if you're not working on your own projects. And you'll know that as well from your decision to go into working freelance and doing the podcast is that it's so rewarding to build your own life how you want it. And shape it how you want. And my motivation was very much not not wanting to be on someone else's time as well. Whereas I'm missing, you know, I have to be at work at nine and the waves are going to be really good at 10. Like I don't understand why I can't just go to work at 11 and then stay later. You know, so I kind of wanted to choose my own hours. And what I love is that that thought of having a a freedom-based lifestyle where I can work from anywhere in the world rather than being stuck in one location. Yeah, yeah. And um, would you recommend any podcasts or books for the listeners to actually sort of get extra inspiration for this kind of a lifestyle? I have been listening to Diaries of the Wild Ones, which is a wonderful podcast by Aaron Shanks. And it's kind of just crazy stories of people, adventurers with stories. So that's been really inspiring. And then my friend Ali, who runs the Journey Junkie, which is an online yoga business, she has the boat that I will be sailing from Tonga to New Zealand on. And she is or has been a real catalyst for me about how she's built her online business. She gave me some great advice. So she is living on her boat with her husband, sailing around the world. She has a wonderful yoga community, a fledging YouTube channel, running retreats around the world and has an online subscription model. And she's just a real beacon of inspiration of someone that's really figured it out and is adding a lot of value to people's lives through an online product. So I'd say, yeah, check her out and check Diaries of the Wild Ones out. Okay, well, we'll put the links to it in the show notes of the episode and it'll be on the podcast app. I guess we've sort of got to the end of the this wonderful conversation and it's been so inspiring, Alexa. It's just been incredible. I was just wondering what the next steps for you are with Still Stoked. Yeah, I am desperate to try and bring more stories of women in video. I find like when you you look at the amount of content that's out there in in surfing and mountaineering and and snowboarding or climbing, it's so male focused and they seem to get all of the budgets that that go into content creation from, you know, the clothing brands or the hardware brands. And a lot of the stories that are out there from women, they're all self-funded. So my big dream is for Still Stoke to be a production platform and be the catalyst to go out there and hunt those stories down and bring them to the world in video. And as you said earlier, like one of the reasons that you started the podcast is there's so many incredible stories out there to tell. And it kind of pains me that those female strong focused ones aren't being told just because that platform doesn't exist or the funding doesn't exist. So I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to do that yet. So if any listeners have got any great (laughs) ideas, but yeah, that's wanting to marry my skills in production and, and storytelling with my passion for supporting women in the outdoors and inspiring the next generation. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you, Alexa. This has been amazing. I just have four last questions inspired by the Surf Careers website. So four questions, which always give amazing answers. So the first question is, I love. Oh, 
I love tacos. (laughs) (laughs) Funny what comes to mind first. (laughs) I miss. I miss my friends in the UK after leaving for so long. I definitely (laughs) miss those friendships that you've had your entire life and people that have known you from your drum and bass days in London that nobody in Australia seems to understand. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I wish that I could come out of barrels. (laughs) (laughs) And I want. I want to see more women in content and that content available to more people around the world. Lovely. Beautiful. Well, thank you ever so much, Alexa, for, for being my guest today. How do you feel? Yeah, it was great. It was so nice chatting to you. <laughs> yeah, I love your podcast and I love that you bring people with alternative lives and, and choices to the forefront and some great people. And I'm, yeah. I'm really honoured to be one of them. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And take care. Have a great time on the Northern Beaches. Take away from me tomorrow and uh, I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. I will do. Bye. That was an awesome conversation. To get hold of Alexa, you can skip over to her website and join her tribe on www.stillstoked.com. You can follow her on social media at still underscore stoked on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and Pinterest. And all the links to these accounts will be on your podcast app in the show notes. The Ocean Riders podcast is a passion project and if you like it, you can support it in a number of ways. Number one, head over to iTunes and give it a few stars or a review. In fact, you could even subscribe and that would make my day. Anything in this direction increases my ranking and lets more people hear about my fascinating guests. Number two, you can comment and join the conversation on social media. You'll find links to my social media accounts on theoceanriderspodcast.com and you can also connect with me on Instagram at the Ocean Riders Podcast on Instagram, at the Ocean Riders Podcast on Facebook. And there's also the Ocean Riders Community, which is a Facebook group. And finally, on Twitter at Imi Podcast. Number three, join me for an episode or sponsor an episode. Just send me an, an email. The address is hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com and I'll take care of the rest. Anyway, that's the housekeeping out of the way. Thank you, Alexa, for being such an inspiring guest and for showing us that it's possible to live a wild and free lifestyle and also earn a bit of money. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. Until next week, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.